Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. So this evening we will be in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, before we get to the passage, though, I want to kind of um, work back and um, kind of reiterate what Ben had talked about uh, last week, and then we'll kind of add to it from there. Uh, so last week, Ben talked about um, or asked the question, uh, what is a Christian? Uh, and he said that a Christian is uh, a saint, so someone who is set apart by God. Uh, he said a Christian is faithful, so they don't just intellectually know who Jesus is, but they have a personal relationship with him, and they have a desire to follow him. Right? Jesus said, or uh, Ben mentioned that you know even the demons know who Jesus is, right? But they don't have a relationship with him. Uh, and then also, they are a Christian is someone who is united to Christ. Uh, they are in Christ, which means they are part of His church is his bride, and they understand that salvation only comes through Christ. So those are the marks of what a Christian is. So this evening, I want to kind of continue down that line of thinking uh, and kind of add on to it. Uh, and so my question uh, for us is now that we know what a Christian is, uh, are you a Christian? Are you saved? How do you know if you're a Christian or not? Can you have assurance of your salvation? So my aim tonight, my goal, is to show you that you can have assurance of your salvation. In Christ, we have assurance of salvation by the work of the Holy Spirit. In Christ, we have assurance of salvation by the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. So before we get uh, into that, I'm going to pray first, and then we'll get into our passage. God, again, I just thank you uh, for the gathering of the saints of your church here this evening. I thank you that we get to come here and open your word and hear from you. God, I pray that we would Feel your presence here as we uh, look into your word of truth, as we seek to understand these things you have for us, God. Please give us understanding tonight, Lord. Open our minds, open our ears, open our hearts to receive your word. Give us boldness and confidence, God, not only to be hearers of your word, but We lift the time up to you. So, uh, before we get to um, our passage, I kind of want to go back and read through um, some of the things that, that, or read through the passage that Ben preached on last week. It kind of adds on to uh, what we are uh, discussing tonight. Um, and as we go, go through this, I'm going to point something out to you guys that I think is really central uh, and that I found very interesting. Um, but it's very central to uh, not only our passage tonight, but I think understanding the whole letter 
uh, to the Ephesians, and also understanding uh, kind of our place in the family of God. Uh, so I'm going to start at verse uh, 3 and read all the way through uh, verse 14. Uh, so if you are able to, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Have a seat. So, First, I just want to go through this list again and point out the things that Christ has done. It says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption as sons. We have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. He made known to us the mystery of his will. And he's uniting all things in heaven and things on earth. So one observation I want to point out is uh, the pronouns. Pronouns matter. And I want to point out the type of pronouns he uses. So verses 3 through 12, he uses the first person plural pronoun. Our, us, we, over and over. So Paul is identifying himself with the people he's talking to, with who he's writing to. And then in verse 13, it switches to you, which is the second person plural pronoun. So he's kind of removing himself. And you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So what exactly is Paul doing here? Well, I think he's showing the unity between the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians. And this is one of the main points of the entire letter, unity and love. And just kind of think about if you were to hear this for the first time and you were hearing this letter read to you, the Jewish Christians are obviously agreeing with all the things that Paul is saying. He's including himself as a fellow Jew with using the, the first person plural pronouns. And thus he's showing all the things that Christ has done for his people. 
And I'm sure the Gentiles were also saying yes to all the things that Paul was saying. But then he gets to verse 13, and he says, in him, you, like, wait a minute, what's, what's, what's the you doing here? And there might have been some confusion at first, right? But then they both realized that the you is including the Gentiles in all the promises that he had just read. And so they can go back through and go through that list again, and they can see that the promises weren't primarily for the Gentiles, but when they heard the word of truth and were sealed with the Holy Spirit, then all those promises were now theirs as well. And now they can have confidence that when they read through those promises that they are written to them just as much as they're written to the Jewish Christians. And later on, Paul even praises the Ephesians for their love for all the saints. In a lot of the churches, there is this division or this animosity between the Jewish Christians and the Gentiles. And the Jews were trying to get them, get the Gentiles to add to their salvation by doing all these works. And Paul here is saying, no, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit because you believe in the word of truth and you are sealed and you have all the inheritance and all the promises that, that come with it. So that was just an observation that I thought that I saw that was very interesting. I wanted to point that out. So starting with uh, verse 11, we're just going kind to of work through the passage um, as we go through it and just kind of look at some of the different um, aspects to it. So it starts off in verse 11, uh, in him we have obtained an inheritance. And so thinking through about what this inheritance might be, um, thinking back to the Old Testament about some of the promises that God had made to his people, right? The promises that he made to Abraham about making a great nation, right? Sons of children, right? To be a blessing to, to other nations as well. And then the promised land that he promised to his people, right? In Deuteronomy 6, uh, God spoke through Moses saying, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you a land with great and good cities that you didn't build, and houses full of good things you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full... Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So this inheritance of this land, this promise, it was a very physical, tangible thing. Right? They had rest and peace and comfort from the promises of God that he had given them. But it wasn't just a physical inheritance. It was also a spiritual inheritance. Right, they had the, the tabernacle and they had the temple where the presence of God was. And so they longed to be back in the presence of God. And all these things throughout the Bible are all types and shadows pointing to the Messiah coming. And ultimately to being back with God the way it was before the fall back in the Garden of Eden. And so there's a spiritual and a physical sense of this inheritance. And then it goes on uh, in, our, in our passage in, in verse 11. It says, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. So starting with Abraham, God had chosen a people. Abraham didn't choose God. God, cho or God chose Abraham. God didn't choose, or Isaac didn't choose God. God chose Isaac. You could maybe even say that the 
the Jews were the, were the first Calvinists, the first elect people. So there was nothing that they did to deserve this. They didn't choose God. God chose them. They were born as Jews. And this was totally and utterly by the sheer grace and mercy of God that he would even choose a people for his own possession. So working through uh, verse 11, it says, um, who works all things according to his will. So it's the will of God that is doing all these things. All these things are in accordance with his will. His will is supreme. Nothing can stand in the way of the will of God. In John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus tells his disciples, all the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. All things means all that he wills will come to pass. So verse 12 now says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ. So here it's talking about kind of the foundation of the church. The first people that were, who were to believe in Christ were the Jews. Uh, in Ephesians 2, it says, the foundation of the church is built on the apostles and the prophets, Jesus being the cornerstone and the rock on which the church is built. So these first Jewish Christians are the foundation of the church. On all the people at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first came down, was Jews from every nation. And once Paul was converted, and he was given the task to preach the Gentiles, it says in Ephesians 3, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To him, though I am very, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. And there we see the gospel spread to the Gentiles, that the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And then this is that turning point in verse 13 that we see. In him you also, right, we are united through Christ. When you Gentiles heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The Gentiles heard or came to Christ by hearing the word of truth. And then they believed. And this is a good reinforcement for preaching the gospel. We need to be preaching the gospel, sharing the word of God with anybody and everybody so that they can believe and they can be sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He said, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, they believed in the gospel that was preached to them, and they were brought into the family of God. This is what justification means. That they were justified before God, which means that right then and there, all their sins were forgiven when they believed in Jesus. They confessed their sin, they acknowledged their need for a Savior, and they are justified before the Holy God. And this is the power of the preaching of the gospel, right? God chooses his church to be the agents that administer the gospel so that hearts can be transformed. So it's our calling, our duty, to go and, and do that. 
It reveals a holy God, and it shows how sinful we are and how much we need a Savior, and also displays the mercy and the grace of God. Also in verse 13, it says, We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So if you've heard the gospel and you believe, do you truly know that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit? What does that even mean to be sealed with the Holy Spirit? Well, I think this means sanctification, which means the work of the Holy Spirit in your life that you are growing in righteousness. And this can be most evidently seen in the fruits of the Spirit. Are you growing in love for the things that God loves? Are you growing in love towards your coworkers, towards your neighbors? Are you growing in love for God? Are you experiencing joy? I don't mean that kind of fleeting happiness that we experience when things are going well, or that kind of fake front that people put on that everything's going great when things are falling apart, but the type of joy that even when we face persecution or trials, like James says, we can count it all joy because the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. We have that kind of joy in the face of trials. Do you have peace? Peace can be something, especially now, that can be very challenging to have. There are so many things going on in our country and in our world that can cause fear and anxiety. But are you experiencing peace even in those times of chaos? In Romans 5, it says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans 8 says, set the mind on, or set, sorry, to set the mind on things of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the things of the spirit is life and peace. So we're setting our minds on things of the spirit, and are we experiencing life and peace? And this is the kind of peace that surpasses all understanding. Patience is one that I can definitely grow in. Um, that's one that I really struggle with. And it seems like the more that I ask God to help me in the area of patience, uh, the more my patience is tested. I think that's a way that God uses to, to grow us. Uh, goodness, kindness. Would others describe you as being good and kind? Is your faithfulness growing in God when you see things that aren't working out in your life, things are going wrong, things are falling apart. Do you see God's hand in those things? Are you trusting God in the midst of all those things? Are you gentle with others? Or do you speak harshly and rudely to them? Are you growing in self-control? Are you able to say no to those impulses and desires of your flesh? Do you have a filter that stops you from when you want to have that knee-jerk reaction to somebody or something? Are you when you are tempted, do you flee from the temptation 
Or do you maybe linger there a little too long? There's also a couple of things I noticed about the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, One obvious thing is that fruit doesn't grow very quickly. We have some uh, fruit trees on our property, and uh, there were some blossoms, and now there's some little tiny bud-looking things, but it doesn't really seem like anything's really going on. I just don't want the apples there right away so I can start to enjoy them. But fruit grows slowly. Same with sanctification. Same with growing in righteousness. It can be a slow, slow process. And sometimes it can be a painful process, right? With trees and plants and things, you have to do pruning. You have to cut things away so that more fruit can grow. Just like for us, there are things in our life that we might need to cut out or remove so that we can experience more growth in other areas. Also, another observation um, is that fruit isn't for the tree. The tree doesn't benefit from the fruit that grows on it, right? I mean, maybe if some fruit falls and it rots and decomposes, it might produce some nutrients for the tree. But by and large, the fruit on the tree is for others to enjoy, right? Maybe a passing by deer or some kind of animal or even a person. And so for us, the fruits of the Spirit that we are growing in are not primarily for us, but they're for others to enjoy. You're not growing in love for yourself. We have enough self-love in our, in our society, right? We are growing in the fruits of the Spirit so that we can be a blessing to others, and so others can be a blessing to us. So those are just a few observations about fruits of the Spirit. But just before uh, the fruits of the Spirit are listed in Galatians 5, it talks about uh, the deeds of the flesh. It says, or the works of the flesh, it says in Galatians 5, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So it's a very long list. And even he can't fit everything in there. And so he says, and things like these. And then it says, those who do such things, or some translations say, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it's easy to see this list very long list that's not comprehensive, that has more that you could add to it. And you could say, well, I, I was angry just 20 minutes ago, you know, on the, on the drive here or whatever, earlier today, right? Um, I have strife sometimes with people. Um, I get envious or jealous of people and their things, right? So you can maybe see this list and start checking these, some, some of these things off and kind of start to question whether you have spiritual fruit growing, or whether you have the works of the flesh. And so I think it's, it's helpful and good for us that Paul said, those who practice such things. Living in a fallen world, we are still prone to sin. 
And we do sin and we mess up and we fall short. But if we're not practicing those things, if we aren't intentionally and actively going towards those works of the flesh, that is the distinction I think he's making there. We all mess up, we all fall short. If we are striving towards towards righteousness, not to earn our salvation, right? We are justified by Christ, but out of love and obedience for him. Or we can go the other way and try to earn our salvation, right? Matthew 7 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So two things to see here. One is those people are not doing the will of God. It says, but those who do the will of the Father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. And how do these people identify themselves? They, they identify themselves in their works. Didn't we do all these things? Why won't you take us in? We did all these things. Not about what we do. It's about what Christ did for us. We can do all the right things and look really good on the outside, but if our hearts are not united to Christ, if we are doing good works to earn something from God, instead of out of love for him, then we might find ourselves in a similar place when he comes back. It's not what we do that solidifies our place in the family of God. It's what he has done for us. And in verse 14, it says, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire it. As we see the fruits of the Spirit growing in our lives, we can have assurance of our salvation. As our hearts are drawn to be more like Christ, as we grow in our desire to abide in Him and commune with Him, it's not our works that save us, it's the works of Jesus that save us. It's through grace alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the glory of God. And like it says in verse 12 and verse 14, at the end of the, each verse, it says, this is all to the praise of his glory. It's not, that, that's why we were created. We were created to glorify God. We're created to know him, to love him, and to glorify him. And we glorify him by obeying and following his will, his commands his law. We don't do it out of obligation. We don't do it to earn our righteousness. We simply do it out of love for him. So as a church, my prayer for us is that we would continue to spur each other on in love and good deeds. That we would continue to encourage each other and to pray for one another. And that we would also boldly go with confidence proclaim the excellencies of Jesus, and share the word of truth with him, with those who haven't heard it, so that they too 
they believe in him will be sealed with the promised Holy Spirit.